So welcome back to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is episode 126. And I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. We're covering the history of the United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities. We're doing that with Tammy Spivey, Assistant Director of USMWF. Tammy, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Chris. We're excited to have Tammy on. Tanya, who Tanya Ford, who is the Executive Director at USMWF, reached out to me a few weeks ago uh, to explain what the organization is doing and looking for training opportunities for for workers in regards to combustible dust and elsewhere. And I was really impressed by what the group was doing to support victims of, of workplace fatalities. Uh, but once I, I dug in deeper and learned about their history and learned how combustible dust and, and tragedy and loss from combustible dust really played a role in the organization and with Tammy as well, I knew that we had to get involved. Um, I knew that uh, Dust Safety Science and Dust Safety Academy had to really help with their mission. So we've been discussing back and forth the best ways to do that. But in the the meantime, I wanted to get Tammy on the podcast to talk about the history of USMWF. And then next week, we'll have Tanya Ford on, who's the executive director. She'll be talking about current and future projects um, and and how how to get involved with those and also how the community can help as well. I do want to say a big thank you to Tammy. We invited her to join the uh, Dust Safety Conference that we had a few weeks ago. Um, I think she was the the most active participant in that she she watched the most presentations. She was very interested, and I guess you'll you'll kind of understand where her background from Coastal Dust comes in in this episode. So we're going to talk about Tammy's history, how USMWF was really started through tragedy and loss, and the impact of, of families that suffer loss from workplace fatalities. And the initiatives that the groups have taken. So I really wanted in this episode, share this history, share this background. Uh, and then next week, we're going to bring on Tanya Ford as well to talk about what they're working on currently and, and what they're doing moving forward. So with that kind of bit of a, a longer introduction, Tammy, I guess the if you don't mind for the listeners, can you walk us through your um, history with combustible dust and how that's impacted you? And then maybe we'll talk about how that moves into the United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. As far as me first getting involved, it happened. My brother, Sean Boone, he worked at an aluminum wheel manufacturing plant and he was in maintenance. And they actually had a history of fires. They had even had an explosion previously um, in this company. And they had no fire extinguishers that were actually rated for this type of fire. And they were instructed to not call the fire department anymore because they were going to start getting charged for this. And so what their protocol was is he actually worked with a chip melt furnace and they were instructed to let the fire die down. And then when the fire dies down, then they go back in and relight the chip melt furnace and make sure everything's okay. And then they can go on with their work. And this is what happened on this particular day. My brother and a couple of coworkers went in to, uh, make sure that the fire died down. They went back in a few minutes later, relit it, and they felt like everything was working okay. They had previously times before that. It was fine, you know, doing it this way. So he went back in to collect his tools. And when he was collecting his tools, there was a first blast. And it came from the chip milk furnace. And what happened is uh, this aluminum dust dropped down into it and caused that first explosion. And now I was told that he actually started walking towards the doors. I mean, and there was a second blast. And the second blast 
came from when the first blast occurred, it shook all this aluminum dust and it just rained down on them and it exploded. And so that blast actually took my brother down. He was still conscious, but it took his eyesight. And while he was laying there, that aluminum dust kept burning through his flesh and muscle tissue. But he was, like I said, he was still conscious. He was asking for help. And they ended up flying him a couple of towns over to a burn unit. And of course, we got word of it. I was living in Kentucky at the time. He was in Indiana. And so we drove five hours to go see, you know, Sean and what the condition he was in because we didn't know at the time. And when we got there, we found out that he was, he was cleaned up a little bit. He, um, they wouldn't really do too much with him because of the condition he was in. They cleaned up his face a little bit. It was still swollen and splitting, but they, all they did was cover up his body and give him morphine to keep him out and start pumping the fluids out of his body because his organs were burned. And so we each had a little bit of time with him and then we had to take him off of life support and actually watch him take his last, last breath. So it was pretty traumatic. Let's say. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And I know this is probably not easy for you to share. It's, it's probably not easy for the audience to listen to. It's, it certainly breaks my heart to hear, but it's, it's important to, sh- to share these stories on the, on the podcast. And as Tammy will know from our, our conference, we cover a lot of technical material. <laughs> we cover equipment and solutions and consulting and regulations and r- inspectors and housekeeping and maintenance and da 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 but i always want to come back to a why and and this is exactly the impact that that these sort of incidents can happen so so tammy's brother unfortunately was fatally injured in this aluminum dust explosion october 29th 2003 in indiana this would have been one of the the bigger explosions that uh, occurred around that time and and a big focus of the u.s chemical safety board's investigations and that the reason I wanted to have Tammy on was to share, you know, this tragedy, what it had on on her and her family, the impact it had on her and her family, and and then going into how that started the the USMWF. I guess I, I I'm not how to sure how to follow up with the the tragedy that you you talk about there, Tammy. But what sort of impact you know did this have on yourself and your family seeing this happen and and having it being so unexpected? Yes. Well, uh, of course, it just turned our world upside down. You know, it really did. I mean, nobody really expects for a loved one to go to work and just not come home. You know, they're just trying to earn a paycheck. So, I mean, even though we knew that there were explosions before, I guess it really never hit home, I guess, until then. And I think at first, no matter who you are, if this happens, you just feel a little numb and you're kind of going through the motions because you're just in shock when something like that happens. And I know that, um, I know myself, I mean, I cried for months. I could not stop thinking about this. And part of that is just a simple fact that you really want to know what actually happened, you know, but I know for like, for instance, every family, everybody's grieves differently. You know, every single family member has a different way that they deal with the grieving process. I know that um, I had three-year-old at the time and all my kids felt seeing my brother, Sean, as like a second father. He was just so good to him. 
and, you know, trying to understand what, get him to understand what actually happened. I mean, he thought that he could wish on a candle or wish on a star or go back in time and, you know, get my brother to come back. I know my girls felt like I was hurting and they didn't want to discuss it. So in essence, they couldn't really, they weren't easily getting through the grieving process. I know my mom, she actually, she couldn't even work anymore after this. I mean, it's really, it's not natural for a mother to lose their child, and especially in a way like this. So it's hard to see your child in pain. And I know even for my brother, my brother, and it was in 2007, he drove to California to make a short story, you know, out of it. He drove all the way to California with his Bible, a few pictures, and the phone records of the night Sean was injured. And he proceeded to kill himself. Now, we can't say that Sean alone was what caused that because there's always other factors, but we know that that weighed heavy on his mind. So, I mean, like I said, we all grieve differently. And so for me, it was important to know all the information. You know, how did it happen? Why did it happen? You know, where we, of course, know where. And, you know, for me, I had to have that information. I couldn't just grieve. I had to get all the information and then I would possibly be able to start grieving at that point. Yeah, it, it can be extraordinarily difficult, the, the, the grieving process. And I'm sure that felt like a a double or a triple or a quadruple sort of whammy for lack of a better word. I, I've never shared this on the podcast, but my uh, we had a, a family member tragically died from suicide um, last year. And yes, I know what you mean. The, the grieving process is extremely difficult and it's different for everyone. Um, some people want to know everything. Some people want to know um, as little as possible. It can be, uh, it can be quite difficult. So I want to circle back to how the companies can help, how we can help, how suppliers can help, you know, folks that are suffer loss due to, to workplace fatalities. But I want to take through some of the, the history of, of USMWF so we can kind of see the progression. We've talked about what happened to your brother, the impact had on your family and the impact had on you. Where did this idea of the United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities come from? Well, I think it it's, it originally started to be honest, quite honest, it was basically me gathering the answers that I was able to find out and, and the complaints I had about it, about the way the system worked. For instance, uh, you know, if I thought that the answers were too vague, you name it. And I started looking for another organization because I thought, surely there's something out there for these family members, you know, and I couldn't find anything. There was a few places that maybe focused on one particular issue and it would have been like, great. I think there was a, um, a few people working on that. So, I mean, it originally came from just that there was nowhere you could get support or any guidance or any resources. Um, and there's so many different aspects to a workplace death. You've got, you know, you know, EMTs, you got your firefighters, you got your police department, and then you have like OSHA, which I didn't even know about at the time. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's where it initially came from. I thought, gosh, there has to be something. And, you know, you can't really complain about something if you're not willing to do something about it. So that's where the original idea came from. 
And where to go from there? Is there any way that your kind of background came in and, and then, you know, it's a pretty big leap to, to say you're identifying all these challenges and you're suffering them yourself. But how do you go about actually, you know, wanting to help other people and, and getting that started? Well, I think what's, how it actually initially started after that point is I started connecting with all these families and I realized that they felt the same way. They couldn't connect with somebody over the grieving process. They didn't know how to get answers. For instance, you know, after Sean's death, I didn't know that OSHA was inspecting the incident. I found out because the newspaper called me and said, what do you think about this? And I was like, I didn't know about it, you know? And also like the fire department, I mean, not the fire department, but the police department, I asked them for the records of that night. And what they did was they sent me it, but it was redacted. And I was like, why did you redact this? Well, because we was afraid it was going to hurt you. I'm like, I asked for the records. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I asked for the records because I wanted to know what happened. And in that case, we found out that they had redacted Sean's last words. That was his last words. Of course, I want to know. You know, <laughs> now not everybody feels that way, but I did. And really, his last words were, I'm in a world of hurt. <laughs> so, I mean, if, yeah, it's hard. But for some people, we have to have that. We have to have that foreclosure. And I realized shortly that we might be able to make a difference if we came together. Um, it's, you know, it started out more as like a tributes page, if that makes sense. And um, just a way to help the family members get what they needed and, and, be, and have the support of others that actually understood how they felt about that incident and what it did to the families. So it just kind of grew from there. You know, we realized that there was issues and gaps and then we started working on this. Yeah. I know what you mean about the information when we had her, we, we couldn't get the police records from, from our suicide that we had in our family last year. And eventually we found a loophole that we could send a request to the town and ask for all the suicides on that day. <laughs> and there's only one. So we got rejected files back as well. Yeah, it's kind of strange, I guess, to to get that. Um, I mean, grieving process is, is a big part. So helping the families with the grieving process, where to get answers, how to get records, how to get files. Is there any sort of anything else that you found is a big challenge for families that are? I mean, if if they if the challenges aren't obvious, I don't know what is. But like, what other kind of commonalities have you seen with the the families that you work through in in terms of difficulties that they have? Well, I think. Some of the others, other than getting that general information, we uh, there's a lot, a lot, which really doesn't have anything to do with safety, but there's a lot of workers' compensation issues. We've had family members that uh, could not even afford headstones for their children because what happens in most cases, if they don't have a dependent and they don't have, uh, they're not married, you're not even going to get enough to cover a funeral. I mean, so we really cover a wide range of things kind of call us a jack of all trades because we do a lot of different things, including, you know, the safety issues. We try to get, we try to get training to people that, um, that need it and can't get it. And we try to get it to them for free. So they don't, you know, it's, they're going to be more likely to go to these things if it's free. So, I mean, there's just so many, so many issues. You really can't even number them all. You know, of course, they, they, there's a lot of families that advocate too. For instance, like with me, I do combustible dust. You know, 
we have people with cranes and derricks, we have trench collapse. So whatever their loved one, you know, went in, they kind of almost, I can't say they're an expert, but they're pretty knowledgeable <laughs> about it. I bet. Yeah. One of the things I took away from your website when I go to it, and <clears throat> we'll have links in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 126 for this episode for USMWF, um, how you can support them, uh, some information on the the incident that we're talking about in that. But one of the things from your, your website, if I went to it right now, is still there it is. Yeah. So see in 2018, um, 5,250 workers were fatally injured in the U.S., but you include a different, another ticker there, which is the number of family members affected by the loss, which is, you know, obviously two or three or four or five times larger than that. And that's one, one thing I've always noticed too. And we had actually just episode 120. So six episodes in the podcast ago, we had Jane Gill on from Peterborough, Ontario. And she talked about the 1916 Quaker Oats explosion, um, combustible dust explosion there. And she is the granddaughter of, of one of the victims that was fatally injured in that explosion. So she talked through how that impacted her mother and her grandmother, actually. Her grandmother go back to work. Her dad had to go uh, to the U.S. to work at the age of 10. And then how that's, you know, impacting her today. And we we're talking on almost the almost the 100th year anniversary of, of that explosion about how that knock-on effect has gone through the generations in her family and, and, and all of Peterborough, Ontario. So uh, the point I'm trying to get around to is that it's not just the workers it's also the families and the communities that suffer tremendous loss when you have a, a you know a large scale or even a even a small and I use the word small in quotes here but you know something that's causing permanent injury anything like that is it affects the families as well do you have a good idea how many people you've supported and helped through the united support and memorial for workplace fatalities like i just feel like people would be a bit surprised to see how common this is and, and how all these people are having challenges like the ones that you're mentioning? Yeah, um, we've been asked that question before and that's really kind of a, it's huge. It's a huge question to answer because we don't only connect with family member victims, but we connect with you know safety advocates, organizations, companies, other individuals to try to help improve workplace safety and health. And we have, right now we have 5,000 individuals on our social media pages. We do have a private group for family members also. Um, and we just keep it to the family members because they, there's things that they want to say that they can't say publicly, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. It does. And, and then they can still get the support from other family members. So all these family members, you know, they're on this page and it, it's, it seems to have done a lot to help them with their grieving process and work on, you know, certain issues. And we believe that over the years we have connected with thousands of individuals. We may not even know who they are because, you know, if we helped pass, you know, some safety regulation or some policy, we don't know how that's going to affect those. But we do believe that we've, you know, we've touched on thousands of people. We could do better. We could do more. <laughs> of course, the organization is small, but there's really no way to kind of gauge that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, and it does. That's the the challenge and the curse. Yeah. And it impacts a lot of people, but it impacts them. In different ways. Yeah, I was going to say diffusely, but I couldn't think of a better word. But, you know, <laughs> some people it just, just touches a little bit. It's a, it's a you know, a, a cousin that they don't get to see anymore. Um, and others, it could be a daughter or son or a, a father or a mother. 
not that relational, you know, the where they are in your family tree is the the sole identifier for how much it's going to impact you. Mm-hmm. It, well, it also affects the coworkers, you know, coworkers and the community. Look at the sugar plant, you know, that community was devastated. The Imperial sugar plant. Yeah, we had a, a coal mine explosion, um, coal dust in, in 1992 that took the lives of uh, dozens of, of coal miners from the age of, uh, from teenagers up to, to 50-year-olds um, about an hour from here. And uh, that that community is forever, forever impacted. Yes. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just tragic. And it goes beyond, like you said, it goes beyond just even the, those direct impacts. I mean, the that coal mine was brand new when it opened. It was supposed to supply coal to Nova Scotia Power, our power generating company, for 20 years. They had a 20-year contract when the, the the coal mine was no longer there. It defaulted on the contract, which means that the there's no coal for Nova Scotia Power, which means that the ratepayers' taxes go up across you know the province. Legal costs for a 10-year legal battle was all supported. So there's it impacts things in a lot of different ways. And, and one that I think is worth bringing up is the traumatic impact on coworkers you just you just said, but folks that see it happen. We had George Mikowitz um, on the podcast a number of weeks ago in episode 111 and 112. And he was talking about a, a grain dust explosion at the company he worked with. And the operators that saw it happen, they weren't injured, but they were... Um, you know, mentally in challenging situations for for many many years after that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if we're we're closing in on all the solutions, Tammy, but I think we're bringing up some of the challenges with with this. What kind of initiatives has has the United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities then taken since? I guess we didn't actually say what year did you start the the organization in? It was actually I actually gained nonprofit status in. 2008. So it's been nonprofit since 2008. What kind of initiatives? And I think you touched on a couple, but probably makes sense to 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 spell them out. And I think we're going to have Tanya come on the podcast next week and also talk about them as well. But what kind of things have you you've been doing with the, the organization? I think the first big initiative was that we started the Faces campaign. And if you've been to the website, you know what we mean by our Faces campaign. And it was. It was originally meant to give work fatalities a face. So you're not just hearing numbers, you know, you're hearing accounts, you know how it's affecting people's lives. Um, It was to honor the workers. It was to gain awareness and educate the public and other workers and organizations in our government. And what we did with them, started doing that with them is whenever we went to any event, and we could even just be going to speak to our representatives we would take our posters with them and tell them about the stories of these family members and, you know, what they went through and what their account was and, you know, how it could have been prevented. So I think that's, you know, what started us on this, you know, longer run. So, and we were finding out with that where the gaps were and what we could start working on. And um, we've worked with various organizations like uh, Occupational Safety and Health, American Public Health Association, the U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Board, and of course, the U.S. Senate and House, um, just other safety organizations. We've tried to work with the local news and uh, regional news. And what we did is we started helping family members with 
letter writing campaigns and testimonies, you know, because there could be written or oral testimonies. So we started doing that. And one of the things that uh, we did help get passed is there was a woman from Missouri and her name was Diane Lillicrap and her, she lost her son in a crane and Derek um, incident. He was dismantling a hundred ton crane. And what we did was, you know, with her letter writing and everything, we was able to get her to go to uh, Washington, D.C. and have testimony. And there was actually a Crane and Derrick's rule for construction, and it was passed federally. So, I mean, we work, we work on situations like that, situations like that. Not everything always has the same results. For instance, with the combustible dust, I worked like 11 years on that. Um you know, and I work with different organizations like the U.S. Chemical Safety Hazard Investigation Board, Safety Magazines, I was on 60 Minutes, you know, House and Senate, <laughs> just, you know, the list goes on and on. And it, it even went to the uh, Office of Management and Budget, but it just kind of was tabled there and died. Like I was saying earlier, I, I think the one thing that did come out of that, because it was worked for so long on, was that we may not have got received a reg regulation. However, there was a lot of awareness gained during this. And there were some initiatives that came out of this. Um, so there's really nobody in, that can say, I don't know anything about combustible dust now. <laughs> so I guess at least just the awareness, I felt like that was a good a good thing that came out of it. Yeah, and I, I, I thought about asking you about combustible dust and the role you play, because I know you spent a decade, more than a decade, advocating and then I thought maybe that's a whole nother podcast interview because I, I figured there were some um, long story there but to, to to further on your point and maybe we maybe we can have that discussion at some point but to further on your point a lot of the consultants that I know that got into combustible dust were during the really the awareness surge of, of 2000 around 2008 so we had Three large scale explosions, which in in sort of two thousand three timeframe, um, the the one that you unfortunately took the life of your brother being one of those. The chemical safety board's report on that coming out basically right before the two thousand eight Imperial Sugar Refinery explosion in Georgia. A lot of the work that you were doing and advocating, and I've seen your your interviews with the. I'm not that familiar with the. the I'm, I'm Canadian, so not that familiar with the U.S. political system, um, but the house of representatives maybe um i've seen some of the interviews that you've given from back in that time frame and all those really came together and when i talk to a lot of consultants they'll say yeah my company got into combustible dust in that time or that's the most recognizable you know contributing factor to this what i call the current renaissance for combustible dust our our logo at dust safety science a little molecule looking thing in the middle that's a sugar molecule um it's, it's meant to you know, be in support and remembrance of the the workers that that died in Imperial Sugar. So that is the the this current level of awareness that's there is is a lot of that comes from that time frame. And, and I would say probably behind the scenes, a lot of the work that you were doing as well, pushing and and trying to look for answers in that. So we we appreciate that effort, and you know it it has it comes and, and goes. Unfortunately, uh, it goes quiet for a bit, and then you have a large scale explosion, and it sort of kicks up again. I wish I could say that the current renaissance, the one started in 2008, was the first. <laughs> it's not. Uh, we had uh, coal mine explosions throughout the, the 80s and uh, in the late 70s, grain elevator explosions in the U.S. Uh, in the 20s, there were a lot of insurance companies trying to figure out how to stop combustible dust. That's what started the NFPA regulations. 
late 1800s, flour mills across the world were suffering dust explosions quite regularly. So we've, as as you go back in history and look, you see no, under, awareness go up and awareness go down and awareness go up. And w- when we started, the goal was, okay, well, we have this current increase in awareness from the times that we're talking about now. How do we maintain that? And how do we maintain it without people having to lose their lives due to dust explosions? And those are open questions that we're trying to figure out <laughs> still today. Yeah, I, I think that's also a common misconception with family members because I remember after I lost Sean, I was like, okay, people know what causes a snail, so it won't happen again. You know, <laughs> I don't know why that, you know, rolls around in your mind, but I think a lot of family members do. And then they realize that, no, you know, people know about this and it's going to continue. And the year Sean was uh, killed, there was three explosions that year. And then, of course, like you were saying, the huge uh, Imperial Sugar Plant explosion. So it's like, I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, I really don't. Well, and unfortunately, it's not even a local problem. Like, it's even worse if you consider the rest of the, you know, other other countries. You know, if we could just all learn together, <laughs> you know, something happens and the next day, everyone knows knows what happened. Everybody protects against it. That would be great. But it's, it's it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. And I mean... The it was aluminum wheel polishing. Was it was it aluminum wheel polishing the explosion where your brother passed away in? Um, it was a aluminum wheel manufacturing plant, so they they produced rims. But the byproduct that really got them was it was aluminum and magnesium. And I think that's I'm pretty sure that's what boosts our rockets in outer space. <laughs> yes. So I, I know that it was hot enough uh, hot enough to melt the copper piping around. So it was pretty darn intense. I wish I could tell you it was the only one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2014 Kunshan, China will forever stick in my mind as aluminum wheel, aluminum wheel polishing operation. And a few years ago, I saw a number of presentations of the, the minutes directly after. And unfortunately, something like 80 workers were fatally injured and, and almost 200 wounded. Oh, my gosh. Um, and when you talk about hot, the aluminum dust is... It, I mean, there were melted rims on the throughout the facility. They were just like pancakes, and that's how hot that that fire can get. So, I hope I'm not making you have to relive any of this, Tammy. And I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast to share your perspective. And I hope the audience is is getting something out of this discussion as well. Well, I mean, I'm not saying. Well, it was weird because when I was kind of going through this, I got a lot of emotional, and it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long, long time. I bet. But yeah. I mean, I I feel this is part of the connection that people need because they need to hear what actually happens. I mean, you hear, okay, 18 people killed. Oh, that's horrible. But if you hear the stories of these 18 people, you know, you know how it's affected them, you know, how it affected their loved one, they may even just be injured. For instance, in Sean's, the dust explosion that Sean was in, he had one of the coworkers was his best friend, one of his best friends. And he was in the hospital for three months in a coma. So when he came out of it, he didn't even know Sean was gone. And so he had to learn of that. And then he had to go through skin grafts and he can't go out in the sun and he can't work in the heat. And so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot of a lot <laughs> of how it can affect, you know, individuals when this happens. That's the whole reason why I wanted to, why I appreciate you coming on to share and, and why we want to do this on the 
the podcast. My team has been after me for the last two years saying, hey, we report a lot of numbers. We report a lot of statistics, but we need to tell the stories behind mm-hmm. these numbers or else we're not going to get to our goal of seeing a year with zero fatalities worldwide by 2038. Because I'm a numbers guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the, the audience probably knows. I'm a... I'm closer to a physicist than I am an engineer, to be honest. So I like the the physics, the chemistry of of you know what what makes this stuff go. Uh, the human element I've 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 grown with over time, and my team's been saying we need to get the story shared. And that's almost one of the reasons why USMWF is such an important piece of the the, the puzzle, for lack of a better word, for us is to be able to share these these stories more broadly. So I appreciate you coming on. I think the the place to probably close off this episode and. As I mentioned, we're going to have Tanya Ford on next week on the podcast talking about the current projects and future projects for USMWF. But where can people go to learn more about your work with the organization, Tammy? And you know, how can they best support your work moving forward? Well, they can go to USMWF.org. It's www. And they have, there's a lot of links, a lot of information on there that, that they can look through if they want to know more about it. We also have a Facebook page. And it's uh, USMWF on the, the Facebook page. It, we What we do there is we give like a, a list of fatalities. So it's just like a rolling list. And then, of course, our events and, you know, that type of thing. So if they want to know more about us, they can do that. Or they can contact us directly, you know, through our email. And I think on others giving us support, I think it helps a lot if people just share us and our mission with others and help us connect with other people that we can work with to accomplish our goals. Because our goal ultimately is so that this don't happen again. Plain and simple. You know, get the, the training and the awareness and so that we can keep these incidents from happening. And I think the other way too is, you know, everybody hates to bring this up, but financially, it takes us a lot of research and a lot of time to connect with the families and work on the, the different issues that are at hand, you know, cause we've got to be able to find what, you know, if there's legislation out there that we think is really bad, that's coming out. And we got to be able to, you know, put our efforts into making sure that doesn't happen. And we're a pretty small organization still. <laughs> so, so, you know, and it just does, it takes funding to get that done. So if, you know, people can, offer some sort of funding, you know, or give some sort of donation, every single little bit helps, helps us accomplish that. Yeah. And I would say, I would encourage people to, to look at the um, USMWF website and Facebook group uh, or Facebook page rather. We will put links to those in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash one, two, six. But also I'd encourage people to support We'll We will be supporting. Um, I can say that openly on, on, on the podcast that DustX will be contributing and, we sent some emails out to some of our member companies just sharing um, the group and that. And, and I am happy to to say, or, or happy is not the right word. Um, I am proud to say that some of the member companies have also, uh, through discussion with them, said they'll be stepping up and supporting the mission too. So any more, anything else we can do to get the word out, anything we can do to support the mission, um, hopefully the folks that are listening to this podcast will check that out and also you know be able to contribute if they're in the position to do that. So, Tammy, I think we'll cut off this podcast episode there. Hopefully we can have you back on the podcast if we're not <laughs> making you um, come back and think of also less world too much to share sort of how your process went through that and anything that came out. And I, I kind of want to get your takeaway on what you think we should be doing on the 
the combustible dust side more, but the, the more important piece for me is how to help the, the families and that are suffering these sort of losses first. So I want to cover that first. Um, so maybe we'll get you on the podcast again in the future, but if not, thank you so much for your time today and, and thank you for what you do. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tammy. And I'm sure we'll be talking here soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Tammy Spivey, Assistant Director of Unite Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities. And you find them at www.usmwf.org. Um, we've been talking about the history of USMWF and what it does today. So we talked how it really got started out of work that Tammy was doing after suffering personal loss from a combustible dust explosion at a aluminum wheel polishing facility and, and reusing of that uh, aluminum material. And unfortunately, she she lost her, her brother in that explosion. It was on October 29, 2003, uh, and, and his name was Sean Boone. We talked through the impact that had on her. We talked through the really challenging first minutes and hours and years um, after and hopefully that gives some idea of what some of these you know families go through and and more than that some of the challenges that they have getting information getting questions answered workers compensation um, OSHA media media outreach you know newspapers magazines wanting to know opinions and I'm just scratching the surface of the type of things that will come in the aftermath of something like this um, so I want to bring that to the forefront on the podcast here to illustrate the work that we do, why it's important, but also the compassion that we need to have to move forward as a community as well. We talked about USMWF, how Tammy got started and was really collecting up the things she was trying to do after suffering her own loss. And, you know, anything that didn't work right or couldn't get answers, she was kind of keeping a mental tally of that. And as she connected with others that, that lost loved ones in similar ways, found out that there, there were common issues that were there. And that's, you know, really a genesis of starting the USMWF organization. Um, it's expanded from there. So, you know, they, they certainly do deal with tragedies and loss, but they also try to deal with prevention. How do we get training to groups that need it? How do we provide free training to workers that wouldn't otherwise get it? I know they have a number of other initiatives that they have going on. We're actually going to have Tanya Ford, the executive director at the United Support and Memorial Workplace Fatalities on the podcast next week, talking about their current and future projects as well. Um, and then just to close off the interview, we mentioned where you can learn more about USMWF uh, at their website or at their, their Facebook page. Um, you can also support them at their website as well at usmwf.org slash donate. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead I appreciate everything that you're doing and in industries handling combustible dust and making them separate every day and also the impact and the effort and the work that you're doing for the families and communities that are in the locations where these facilities operate because you're making a difference there as well. Mm-hmm.